0: get there, Psalm 117, we're only going to be reading verses 1 and 2 when we get to Psalm 117. You're welcome to read further if you'd like to when you go home, if you want to read farther than verses 1 and 2. Of course, you'd have to go into Psalm 118 to do that because there's only two verses. This is the shortest chapter chapter in uh, scripture. Anybody know what the shortest verse in scripture is? Anybody know where it's found? Say what? Where? Jesus wept. That is one of my, the favorite of my uh, kids at night when I say quote a scripture. They erase to see who can do John 11.35. Jesus wept. And that's uh, you know those questions. I don't know if any of you remember. How many remember back when uh, churches, especially the young people, used to do sword drills? Anybody remember that? And used to do Bible questions. And and when I was growing up, the way the youth service was conducted in the churches I that I grew up in, the youth didn't go back to youth church. Wednesday night was youth night, and the whole church came together for that service. But the youth was in charge of that service. And a lot of times uh, during growing up, my mother was the youth director of the church that we attended. And uh, one of the things that they would often do on Sunday night is they would divide the church up into teams and they would have Bible questions. Now, I I, uh, believe in Bible questions. And by the way, children love that when you do that. They absolutely love it. We've done it with our kids. But Dad, we used to beg Dad, uh, me and my brothers, to do Bible questions with us. And I'll be honest with you, I think I learned more about the Scripture in those Bible question times than I than I did even in church or in Sunday school growing up. one of those evenings that we were doing that in the church, they asked a question that the little ones would have a chance to get, and they asked spell John, and they were asking them. Rapid fire, they said, spell John, and my, my mother got all into the spirits of the proceedings. She got all excited and she wanted to win, and they said, spell John. She jumped up and said, J-O-N, which is not how you spell John. Now, there are people that spell their name that way, but it's J-O-H-N in scripture. So one of those scriptures, what's the shortest uh, chapter in the Bible? Anybody know what the longest chapter in the Bible is? Psalm 119, it's only one psalm over. And uh, look at your neighbor and say, Thank God he's not preaching on Psalm 119 tonight. Amen. But I want to speak uh, for a few moments on Psalm 117, verses 1 and 2. By the way, this is not a big deal, but if you just want to be correct, it is not correct to say, psalm chapter 117 because psalm doesn't have chapters each psalm is an individual song or psalm so it is actually more correct to just call them by psalm 117 now remember that because when you get to the pearly gate st peter's going to give you a quiz about how to do that and also how to spell john so be ready when you get to the pearly gate all right psalm 117 verses one and two Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Now, we're going to do that again. we got it on the screen for you. We're going to do that again, but I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I'm going to ask you to, to read it again with me out loud. It's only two verses. It's the entirety of the psalm, but it's only two verses, so let's read it together out loud. You ready? Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, enough said. Enough said. Let's pray. Father, we're asking you to touch us this evening. Lord, we don't have time to waste any time that we're gathered into your house and any time that we open your Word, God, when we're together with other believers and when we're in your presence, it is not time wasted. So, God, we're praying that you would allow your Spirit to get involved in the proceedings tonight. Now, Lord, uh, I realize that there is a sense in which we're never able to do anything without you. You've given, uh, Lord, me breath, and you've given me uh, vocal cords. And you've given us ears to hear. And uh, Lord, we realize that you've given us uh, brains that are able to take in uh, and receive information. And all of those are just kind of common blessings that you have given to us, but they're very dear blessings. But Lord, we can operate in that kind of common blessing and it it be good, but it not be life-changing. But when your spirit takes your word and, it, and somehow applies it to our heart. All of a sudden it's not just Brit talking to people that we know very well. All of a sudden it's not just human words falling on human ears. It's not just our mind that is gaining understanding. Somehow or another your word begins to work on the inside of us. It begins to change. And that's, that's the miracle of preaching. Lord, we, we, can, we can have... Sermons without your spirit working in it. But the only way we're going to have a message from you is if your spirit's in it. We can have a speech without you working in that supernatural way. But the only way we're going to have preaching is if your spirit gets involved. And that's what we're asking you for, nothing more and nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise for his spirit <clears throat> and his word. Well, I don't know how in the world I ever preached before I was married or had children. I don't know. I think what I use for examples with other people's wives and other people's children. Something I'd heard a married fellow say or a daddy say. Because my children have provided me with tons of illustrative material. My wife has too, but I'm not able to share all that she has under threat and sentence of execution Cameron and Katie can't do much about it but Cameron went through a phase there every night when I asked him to say his prayer or if we ask him to pray over a meal or whatever the occasion was his prayer was always the same and it was a little five-word prayer Father in Jesus name Amen there was nothing in the middle It was just, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. You can tell he received the gift of brevity that his father did not receive. But I got to think about it, that's pretty good prayer. It contains the elements that prayer needs, doesn't it? Father, we're praying to Father God, in Jesus' name, amen. And honestly, you take that template, you can fill in the blank for anything else that you might need. Now, I think he got it from his Papa because Daddy, for a while, I I, I think I told you uh, here a while back that when my Nana and Papa prayed over breakfast, that they got down on their their prayer bones on their knees, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and the whole time the whole cake was getting cold, and they prayed, and they prayed. But Daddy went through a phase, now he's got over this now, he may have got sanctified, I don't know, but he got, he went through a phase where it didn't matter if it was breakfast, lunch, dinner, supper, snack, he would say, thank the Lord for dinner, amen. He kind of went through that. There are some things that are just, there is enough said. I remember uh, years ago when I was first starting to preach, I'd been invited over to preach over at our old home church in Waycross before we had moved over to this area and went to church at Axon, our home church at Waycross. And I went to preach over there on one of those Wednesday nights that we're talking about where everybody was in the youth service. I went over there to preach. And I had borrowed $5 from Dad to maybe get a little gas and a little snack or whatever just in case. I borrowed $5 But my, I I knew I didn't have much gas. But I thought, well, they're probably going to give me a little bit of an offering. Now, how many remembers the day when a preacher went to preach? They didn't, they didn't write a check. You just got whatever cash came in. That's what they handed you. They'd count it, hand it to you, and sometimes you'd get you know, three or four dollars, a couple of dimes, a loose button, and a ripe banana, but you just get whatever came in. Well, I just thought, okay, you know, that I'll just use whatever uh, I receive, and it won't be much, but I'll use whatever I receive and and get back home on that. Well, uh, they received an offering. I don't know what they did with it, but they didn't give it to me, and uh, I learned real early on that you're not in it for, for the money, so... I, no problem. They did, but I had five dollars borrowed. I stopped at I I go by this store all the time when I'm in in uh, in Waycross. I remember the little store I stopped at, and I got uh, just enough gas, maybe a couple of dollars uh, gas. As old as I am, I think it was a nickel a gallon in those days. No, it wasn't quite. Yeah, ain't quite that old. But uh, I got a couple of dollars worth of gas, and I got a a, a snack. And we're gonna leave that out if I had to walk. I got a little snack and I had two cents left, and it was borrowed. And I got got on my way home, and the thought came to me, and a joy came into my heart, and I made up a little song on the way home. And I began, yes, I will sing it for you. Thank you for asking. It went like this. I got two cents in my pocket, and Jesus in my heart. I'd tell you just how rich I am, but I don't know where to start. And I've got more wealth than any man can chart, with two cents in my pocket, and Jesus in my heart. I got a lot more blessing out of that. (laughs) Yeah, give the Lord. I got a lot more blessing out of it than I did did the offering. But it was just a short little simple song in the moment that was my heart expressing joy and praise to the Lord. And I'd like to think that that's what the writer of this psalm did here. It's just a little simple song. Now, I'm going to tell something on Billy because he's told it on himself. In fact, he told it just the other day at our minister's breakfast. Billy said, said, I've got a problem. He said, I don't like songs that don't rhyme. And he said, right here at West Ward Church of God, Pastor Olin was singing a song and the words didn't rhyme. And he said, I didn't like it. And I looked up and realized we were singing scripture. <laughs> so that's what this psalmist did. It's it's I, I don't know, and of course, Psalms is a it's a hymn book, it's a collection of psalms, and they all didn't. A lot of times we want to say David said, but David didn't write all of the Psalms. He did write a great many of them, and if every one of them that is attributed to him he wrote, he wrote the vast majority of them. But It doesn't tell us who wrote this psalm. I don't know who it was. I don't know. Now, I do know if they were Pentecostal that they didn't sing just these two verses and quit. As you know, I married a little Baptist girl, and I figured out what the difference between Baptists and Pentecostals are. And it's not doctrine, and it's not all the things that you, spiritual gifts, all that kind of thing that you think it is. It's not that at all. Here's the primary difference. Baptists are going to sing the first, second, and fourth stanzas of the hymn. And they're going to sing it through once. And they're going to sing it at a key that birds would explode trying to reach. Because they sing it right where it's written. Church of God people don't sing it like that. We sing every verse of the song through three times. Right? And if you don't shout, we just keep singing until you do. Amen. So I don't know what the thought process behind this was but it's two little verses it's just a little praise chorus. but you're going to find out I think that there was enough said in that simple little phrase the scripture does often have a great economy of words and an understatement and so the psalmist said oh praise the lord There's a power that comes with just praising the Lord. I don't know that I fully understand all about that. My little papa used to always say there's two times to praise him when you feel like it and when you don't. But I have found that when I praise him, if I didn't feel like it, I start feeling like it. There's something about praising him that becomes, I don't know, stirring I found that some way or another, even when I don't want to or don't feel like it, that the Lord will meet me somewhere in between hallelujah. And somewhere right in there, there's something that begins to turn over in my spirit. That the joy of the Lord begins to come on the scene when I praise Him. And that we are under an obligation to praise Him. There are seven Hebrew words that are translated praise in the scripture, and the psalm uses all of those words. And and a lot of it we do intuitively, not even knowing that we're doing what was prescribed. We instinctively do that. One of those words for praise means to lift your hands like this, todah. And it literally means thanksgiving. Whenever I was in Israel, the first time I was in Israel, when I was there, I asked. I bought a Coca-Cola at a certain site. And I asked our guide, how do you say thank you? And he said, todah. So I said, todah. And, and I realized that that was a Hebrew word for thanksgiving. So lifting your hands like this is a, is a way of thanksgiving. And there's yada that also means to lift your hands, but it doesn't just mean to lift up thanksgiving, it means like a power salute of throwing your hands in the air. There's a word zamar that means to strum on the instruments like we do up here. I I know, and I'm not trying to put them down, I know there's a whole denomination of Christians that that they don't have music in their churches because they say we go by the New Testament and the New Testament doesn't talk about that. Well, the reason New Testament doesn't talk about that is because they had the Old Testament. They had the Psalms. They had the Psalm book. And because they had the hymn book, they worshiped the Lord and worshiped the Lord in music. There's even the word hallelujah means praise to Jehovah. And I know I've told you this before, but there was back in the 70s, there was a song, a beautiful song, that, that uh, as far as the melody of it, that one of the, the Beatles, George Harrison, wrote and performed and it was my sweet Lord, and part of the course of that was hallelujah. And I always thought it was a good Christian song until I listened closer and realized that uh, at the second time that they say it, they don't sing hallelujah, they sing Hare Krishna. His Lord wasn't my Lord. The problem was George didn't know his Bible because you can't say hallelujah to Buddha. You can't say hallelujah to Hare Krishna. You can't say hallelujah to Allah. It means hallelujah, means halal, praise to Yah, Jehovah, Yahweh. It means praise to God. That's the only, that's the, what the praise means. And that's the word that's the same in every language. And halal means to make, to shine, it means to polish it up, it means to even act clamorously foolish. There's even, in Pentecostals, we don't like this one very much, but there's even a word for praise that means to be quiet and still and wait in the presence of the Lord. There's a lot of ways to praise the Lord. But whatever way that we praise Him, we need to praise Him. Praise ye the Lord. Now here's the fantastic thing. In the time of the Old Testament, people believed that that gods were gods of nations and gods of locations so that this nation had its God and that nation had its God. And those nations surrounding Israel, they thought of God as the God of Israel, not as the all-powerful, the one and only. They were not, most of those nations were not monotheists, they didn't believe in one God, they were polytheists, they believed, polytheists believed in many gods, but even people in Israel would often get confused and think that God is the God of Israel, but you know Persia has its gods and and, uh, Assyria has its gods, but the God that we serve, he is the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He is the God of Israel, but he is not a God of one location, one nationality. In fact, it would do to remind ourselves in America, he's not just the God of America, and in America, he's not just the God of Republicans. And we don't have a white God and a black God and a red God and a brown God. No, the God that we worship and the God that we serve is the one and only God. That's what he called the great Shema of Israel, that uh, that, uh, pronouncement that said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And we know that he's God in three persons. God the Father, God the Word, and God the Holy Spirit. But he's not three gods, he's one God manifested in three persons. And the God that we serve is the one and the only God. Therefore, the prophets of old did not just bring words to Israel or words to Judah or words to the children of Abraham. No, they felt that they had the right and were commissioned by God to to point their finger in every direction in every nation of the earth and pronounce the judgments of God, because God is the God of the whole earth. The earth is full of His glory, and the heavens declare the glory of God. And the earth is His footstool, and the heavens are His throne, and He is God. So the psalmist said, he didn't say, Praise the Lord, all ye Israelites. He didn't say, Praise ye Lord, O house of Abraham. He said, Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Now, God chose Israel, but he did not choose Israel as his choice people just to bless only Israel. Scripture teaches, teaches us that God chose Israel that through Israel all the nations of the earth should be blessed. It was always God's design to send through the progeny, the genetic offspring of Abraham for him to send through that household of Israel for him to send the Messiah, the Savior that wouldn't just be, he was the Messiah of Israel. That's a a Hebrew term. That's, That's their promised one. That's their ruler. But he didn't just come, he came to be a Messiah for Israel but he came to be a Savior for the whole world. That was always his design, was to save out of every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And so the psalmist said, praise the Lord, all ye nations. And the Bible tells us that there is coming a time where not only will the nations be judged. We often use this scripture to try to, excuse me, spur ourselves to, well, uh, action. And we say, well, the Lord said that uh, you saw me hungry and you didn't feed me. You saw me naked and you didn't clothe me. You saw me in jail and you didn't visit me. You saw me sick and you didn't attend to me. And then also he said to his people, you did see me naked or or in need or hungry or in prison or or sick, and you did feed me, and clothe me, and visit me, and attend to me. And it's right for us to use that, for us to say, as we've done it unto the least of these, uh, our brethren, we've done it unto the Lord. But the context of that is Jesus said, I'm going to look at the nations, and I'm going to judge the nations, and say to the nations, you saw me hungry, and you didn't feed me. You saw me destitute, and you didn't care for me. God is still a God of nations. He's a God that judges nations. That's why if you've allowed yourself to get caught up in a, a go along to get-along mindset in America and say, well, it really doesn't matter the evil that other people do, and it really doesn't matter the evil that, that our government endorses. That doesn't affect me and mine. I'm only responsible for what I do. I can't do do anything about what they do. No, let me tell you that when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. And God is a God that judges nations. And one of the days, the nations of the earth are going to stand before him. But the Bible does not just speak to us about judgment. It also tells us of that time, that great time, in Revelation that John saw that gathered around the throne, out of every nation and every tribe and every kindred and every tongue, there would be people singing the praises of God. Now, I know this is in, in any nation, among any people, uh, prejudice, racism is not a skin problem it's a sin problem but I know it is still a problem even in our day but I am going to tell you what if you have trouble mixing with somebody whose skin is darker or lighter you have trouble mixing with somebody who's brown or red or tan or black or white you're going to be miserable in heaven cause heaven is not going to look like an all-white church or an all-black church or a whole Hispanic church. Heaven is going to look like all of those people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue gathered around the throne, worshiping the Lord. So he said, praise him, all ye nations, and praise him, all ye people. I mean, there's different kinds of people going to go to heaven. And there's different kinds of people going to praise him, And people that are different praise him differently. I remember when I was pastoring over in Axon, we had a a brother visiting with us. And uh, he got up one Sunday while I was preaching. He got up and he stuck up his finger like this. And he walked out of the church like this. And I thought he was protesting something that was going on. I had people ask me, said, what in the world he's doing? Because I had never been exposed to it. But then as I got out and about, I realized that was a sign of respect in his culture. He was saying, excuse me, forgive me for interrupting the service by having to get up and slip out to the restroom. What he was doing to bring respect... I was taking offense because I didn't understand. Can I tell you that there's going to be in heaven big people and little people. They're going to be fat people and skinny people. Now the fat people are going to be first in line at the marriage supper. <laughs> and the Lord prefers, prefers them because... Leviticus 3.16 says the fat belongeth to the Lord. In fact, the Bible says that the sweet the sweetness is in the fat. That's the reason skinny people are so hard to get along with. They're mad. Have you ever known somebody that had a jovial personality and they lost weight? They wasn't near as fun. They could get, couldn't get them to laugh at anything. There's going to be some short people and some tall people. Now, I've got a little beef with that myself. If you're in Walmart and there's something on the top shelf and a short person asks somebody that's taller to get that thing off the top shelf, nobody thinks anything about it. But you let a tall person ask a short person to get something off the bottom shelf. They'll look at you like you're crazy. That's heightism, is what that is. There's going to be all different kinds of people. Now, we're not talking about people that are living in ways that are contrary to God's will and God's way. We're not getting into that kind of discussion. That's not what we mean. But I'm going to tell you what, there might be some people in heaven don't vote like I vote. There might be some people in heaven don't like the kind of music that I like. Pulled up at Axon one day, and one of our members was playing a bluegrass gospel band, singing The Great Speckled Bird, and he turned it up. He said, that's the kind of music that's going to be in heaven. And I thought to myself, yeah, there's some people going to think that was a little further south. Because <laughs> that wasn't their thing. Daddy used to tell people, he said, heaven's just going to be one great big axe in the sky. And somebody finally corrected him and said, I hope your vision's a little bigger than that. I don't know all that heaven's going to be, but I know this. It's going to be a lot bigger and a lot better than anything you and I have ever imagined. And since heaven's going to be covered with all nations and all people, then all nations and all people ought to praise his name here and now. And it's wonderful to think that right now as I speak, there's people in deep darkest Africa that are praising the name of Jesus. That way over in Asia there are people that are praising the name of Jesus. That way down in South America there are people that are praising the name of Jesus. That you go up way up to the the northernmost part of our earth and there's Eskimos and Inuits that are praising the name of Jesus it's wonderful for me to know that man has been able to escape the bonds of earth and go to the moon and to hover around the earth and one of those astronauts when it came his time to pick the music he began to pick the music and he began to read as he saw the earth he began to read in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth up in space they were praising the name of the Lord all throughout the earth the earth is full of his glory and God is praising him So it's wonderful to know that there's all nations and all people are praising him. But here's the thing about it. As wonderful as that is, there's nobody can praise him for you. You've got a voice and you've got a a determination and you've got a soul and you've got a spirit. And how do I know whether I'm included in those that should praise him? Well, just draw in your breath because the scripture says, Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. Jesus said on his Entrance into Jerusalem on that great uh, triumphal entry on his coronation day, he had told people time and again, "Don't tell anybody who I am." But now the little children are running around and they're saying, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." And some of the religious people said, "Tell them to be quiet." And he said, "Not today. If they're quiet today." Even the rocks will cry out and praise me. I don't want a rock crying out in my place. I want to do my praising for myself. I'm one of those all ye people. I want to praise the Lord. Rear back your head and lift up your hands and say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So it's all people. It's all nations that are to praise him. Why? For his merciful kindness. Toward us. That word merciful kindness is a very special word in the Hebrew. It's a word that is pronounced chesed. Everybody say that one time. Say chesed. Isn't that fun to say chesed? (laughs) you got to be careful with that one, don't you? And here's the meaning of the word. It's a word that means loving kindness, yep, but the depth of that word to the Hebrew mindset was this. That it is the covenant love and obligation that is owed to those within whom you are in covenant. Those with whom you are in covenant. That I have a responsibility to my wife and to my children that I don't have to your wife and your children. I have a covenant with my wife. My obligation to care for her, even though I, I care about other people in their family, it's my role to provide for my wife and my children. And they said, we're the chosen people of God. Therefore, we're in a hessed relationship with God. We're in a covenant with God. And that covenant with God requires of us some obligation. We are obliged to do things as God's chosen people. But God is also obliged to provide his love and his care for us because we're his chosen people. So it wasn't a bad thing to think in terms of covenant obligation. That was a good thing. In fact, I'm going to tell you, This world would be a lot better off if some people understood covenant obligation. That's why when we join the church, we actually take a membership covenant. Right? When we get married, we take a covenant. When we get married, we're we're not entering into a business deal. We're taking a covenant with each other and with God. God. So covenant obligation is a a good thing, but it can degenerate into a quid quid pro quo. It can degenerate into if I I owe God praise and he owes me blessing. How many times have you been in a church service that a preacher or a, a worship leader talks about worshiping God like it's a quid pro quo? Say, come on, you know, when the praise goes up, the blessings come down. If You want to be blessed today, you praise him. Now, how many of you ladies, if your husband came home tomorrow with roses, would look at him a little suspicious, and you would either think, now, what have you done, or what do you want? The women in this place... (laughs) A couple of women reached over and asked somebody, what's roses? <laughs> and there are some people that think that that's the way God works. Is that if we can bribe him with our praises, that he'll give us his blessings. But I remember my Nana Peavy one day we were talking about, years ago we were talking about doing things for each other. And she said, well, I tell you, son, I do things for you because I love you, and you do things for me because you love me. I asked Cameron one day to do a chore for me. And I said, Cameron, will you do so and so for me? And he said, well, do I have a choice? I said, yeah, you have a choice. You can do it or you can get a spanking. I mean, that's your choice. But doesn't it sound a lot better if I ask you than if I tell you? And I said to him what Nana had said to me. Son, I do things for you because I love you, and you do things for me because you love me. Isn't that better than a quid pro quo with God? To praise him because we love him. And I'm going to tell you, if he stopped blessing us right now, we could spend the rest of eternity praising him and we'd never get it caught back up. Oh, Dad, he does something for me every once in a while, buys me a meal or whatever, I'll say, Thank you, Daddy. And he said, Son, you so far into me now, you'll never get out. And I don't mind being in debt. And I'm a debtor to the Lord, and I can never repay him, but I want to spend the rest of my life trying, don't you? For all the blessings that he's given me. But Jesus, remember Jesus came, Understand this, any time that you read the New Testament and any time that you read the word New Testament, think of this, that what that means is covenant, new covenant. The Old Testament is the description of the old covenant that God had with Israel and the New Testament is the description of the new covenant that God has not just with Israel physical Israel, but with spiritual Israel, which is everyone that has put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the new covenant. And Jesus came to bring a new covenant. That's the reason when he held up that cup at the Last Supper, he said, this is the new covenant with God in my blood. Not the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and ashes and sprinkling. It's the blood of Jesus. And Jesus taught about this new covenant. He was asked one day by a religious man that knew God's word. He was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, how do you read it? And the man answered wisely. He said, well, the greatest commandment is to love God. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, "You've, you've stated well. And then willing, the Bible says, to justify himself, he asked this question. Well, who is my neighbor? And if Jesus had said, everybody that's within a mile radius of you is your neighbor, that man would have worked himself to death to love his neighbor. But if you had the misfortune of living 1.2 miles away, He would walk by you and let you go to pot because I didn't have a chesed for you. I didn't have a covenant obligation to you. Wouldn't it be great as Christians if we could get out of an obligation mindset and get into an opportunity mindset? Wouldn't that be great? How much joy that would bring in our Christian experience if everything that we did for the Lord and did for others we thought of as an opportunity instead of as an obligation. I'm convinced that there are times that some of the most faithful people in our churches are some of the most miserable people because they do what they do out of obligation. And if you ain't going to do it for any other reason, that's a good reason to do it. But I'm going to tell you, it's, a, it's an inferior reason when you can do it out of opportunity to be a blessing and so Jesus responded to him he didn't answer his question who was neighbor he responded with a story and I've, I've got to fast forward this but it was the story of the man that was traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem and he falls among thieves and, uh, and the priest comes by and passes on the other side of the road the Levi comes by and looks at him passes by on the other side of the road and then a Samaritan. Now, if Jesus had been telling this story on 9-12-2001, he would have made a Muslim from the Middle East the hero of this story. With all that anti-sentiment that we understand why. Jesus, he picks out the least likely candidate and makes him the hero of the story, the Samaritan. I wish I had time. I don't. This is not a a seminary class. I don't have time to develop it, but take my word for it. They were hated, and much of the reason that they were hated, there was actually some some things that Samaritans had brought on themselves, but they were hated. And he makes him the hero, and he, of course, pours in the oil and the wine. He takes him to an inn. He pays, he says, take care of him when I come back. If you've had to do anything more, I'll repay you. And Jesus said to the man that said, Who's my neighbor? He said, Okay, who do you think this man's neighbor was? And the man had to admit, Well, I reckon it was the fella that showed him Hesed. So Jesus flip-fought the definition of Hesed. The definition of Hesed was, because I'm in covenant, God loves me. But Jesus flipped it and said, Because God loves me, He brought me into His covenant. That's what Calvary's about. God doesn't love you because you're saved. God saved you because He loves you. So when we talk about His loving kindness, We're talking about a loving kindness that doesn't just extend to one group. It doesn't just extend to those that know Him, those that claim to know Him, those that love Him, although there are specific blessings that come by being in covenant with Him. But God's desire is to bring the whole earth, whosoever will, into covenant with Him. His loving kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth. Forever. The truth of the Lord endureth forever. And of a truth God is faithful to us. God's merciful kindness is great toward us. Jeremiah wrote about it in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19 through 23. Remembering my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath still remembrance of them and is humbled in me, And this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Thomas Chisholm was a man that was called to preach. He was unable to fulfill his obligations because of ill health. But he took to writing poems and was was a great hymn writer. And one day he read these verses from Lamentation in spite of his own sickness. And here's what he said about the ailment and the sickness uh, sickness that he had and about uh, him not having a whole lot of money and not having a whole lot in life and not being able to fulfill his dream in life. Of all this he said, God has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care which have filled me with astonishing gratefulness. One day he read this verse in Lamentation. And he wrote these words, you'll know them, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Sun, moon and stars and their courses above. Joined with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy and love. Pardon for sin and peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine and ten thousands beside Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God has provided that that covenant love, that loving kindness. So the psalmist said, we praise him for his great kindness toward us and we praise him for the truth of the Lord that endureth forever. were to take the Hebrew alphabet and you were to select the first letter, the middle letter, and the last letter and put those letters together it spells a word in Hebrew the word is emet and here's what the word is truth. So the Hebrews said that when you're talking about God and you're talking about his word, you see truth because he's the beginning, the middle, and the end. Jesus said it that way. He was the, the 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 angels cried out about Jesus in Revelation. He's the faithful and true witness. He is the amen of God. In fact, it says he is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus said that God's word, his word is truth. In fact, It was Pontius Pilate that asked him, what is truth? And Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when God gives you his word, it's like money in the bank. You can take it for what it's worth. You can praise him because God is always true. Men may lie, but God is not a man that he should lie. His word is true. So we praise him for his loving kindness, and we praise him for the truth of his word the truth of His promises. The only thing in life that is greater than hate is love. The only thing in life that is greater than darkness is light. And the only thing in life that is greater than a lie is the truth. And Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And so we should praise Him. We ought to praise Him especially because we are His people. We ought to praise Him because of His love and kindness, because of His truth endureth to all generation. We ought to praise him because we're in a loving relationship with him. We ought to praise him because of all the good gifts that he's given us in life. We ought to praise him for life and health and strength. We ought to praise him for a roof above our heads, shoes on our feet, a soft place to sleep. We ought to praise him for sh- for food on our table. We ought to praise him for our mom and our dad. We ought to praise him for our husband or wife. We ought to praise him for our children. We ought to praise him for the wonderful church people. We ought to praise Him for the sun and moon and stars. We ought to praise Him for oxygen. We ought to praise Him for the trees that grow the lilies of the field. But most of all, we ought to praise Him because when we were the enemies of God, God commended His, son, his love toward us, and He saved us by sending His Son to die for us. And we praise Him because He has a heavenly home waiting on us. We ought to praise Him. And everybody in every nation and every tribe and every tongue and everybody, Democrat, Republican, American, Mexican, Chinese, everybody ought to praise the Lord. At the Pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem, there is beside that pool a church that was about a thousand years old. And what's interesting about being in the Holy Land is when you're in the United States, if you pass by something and they said that's 200 years old, you say, oh, wow. But when you're in the Holy Land, you're wanting to see something that's 3,000 years old. So when they say the Crusaders built that 1,000 years ago, you say, oh. But there's a church that was built by the Crusaders Beside that, it was, a, it was a place in Roman times that was a shrine built to their healing God. It's interesting that it was at that pool beside that place that Jesus healed the man that had been lame for 38 years. But the Crusaders built a church there in honor of Mary, the Virgin, Mary's mother, Anne. And the church is built in such a way that it has some of the most fabulous acoustics in the world. If you've got a secret to tell somebody, don't tell it in St. Anne's Cathedral because everybody can hear it. And so choirs from all over the world will come and sing. It's the thing to do when you're there to sing inside of St. Anne's Cathedral because the acoustics are so fabulous. My brother Barry's first trip to the Holy Land, he remembered visiting the Pool of Bethesda, and he began to hear coming out, filling the air, that simple
1: chorus, Hallelujah. 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 And so Barry had to investigate
0: and he peeped inside of the Church of St. Anne and to his amazement he found Oriental Christians that didn't speak English singing the universal word for praise. Well, it blessed him so that he told me about it. So when I went on my first trip, mom and dad were there. Went on my first trip back in 2004. I wanted to have a similar experience. So we went into St. Anne's, and our little group began to sing, Hallelujah. And as we were singing that, we had a guide, a Jewish guide, whose parents had been through the concentration camp and it had left him bitter. And he was at best an agnostic, if not a pure atheist. He was Jewish by nationality and Jewish uh, Israeli by his nationality and Jewish by his race. But he was not a believer in Jehovah. But as we, old South Georgia, Hicks begin to sing, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. We looked over and that old hard-headed, hard-hearted, agnostic Jewish God had red eyes, visibly moved. And, and so much, he said, I want to sing you a song that I used to sing when I was a child. And in the Hebrew language, he began to sing a song of praise to a God that he didn't even believe in. You know, we can get in this earth, we can get so divided into every kind of camp. But I'm going to tell you, the only camp I'm interested in being in is the blood-washed one. That's the one I'm interested in being in. And I'm looking forward to the day that in heaven when I gather and sang hallelujah to the Lamb from people all over God's world and from every generation. But I, you know what? I don't want to wait till I get there to start. I want to get in some practice right now. In fact, why don't you stand right now and lift your eyes to heaven and lift your hands as well. And let's sing that international word for praise to it. Let's sing it together.
1: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. sounding of the trumpet, he is coming, so be ready, now with full voice saying, Alleluia,
0: These days we're going to be gathered around the throne. Why don't we gather around the altar tonight and in your own voice, in your own way, with your own words, let's spend some time seeking him, praising him, worshiping him, and we'll be dismissed.